वंदे श्री कृष्ण चैतन्य नित्यानंद सुहोदित गौरदायी पुष्पवंदो चित्रोसंदो तुमुंदो कृष्णवाणम तुषा कृष्णम संगोपांगष्टपाशरम यज्ञाय संकीर्तन प्रयर यजंती ही सुमेरसा श्री हरि नाम प्रभु की जय गौरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय श्री गौर पूर्णिमा महोत्सव की जय गौर भक्तवृंद की जय गौर Let me recite a brief section of Chaitanya Charitamrita that speaks directly about the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and then discuss about that. But first, following the footsteps of Vrindavan Das Thakur and Krishna Daskabhi Raj Goswami, the most important and influential authors on the life and precepts of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we should say something as they have in their build-up, so to speak, over chapters and verses and pages to the description of the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Say something about the condition of Navadvip and the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There's good reason for this, for following in their footsteps, and there's good reason for why they talked about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance in the way that they did by first, as I say, telling us something about Navadvip itself, the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, Nadia, and about the associates of Mahaprabhu. In Chaitanya Charitamrita, for example, we have 14 verses that constitute the Mangalacharan, the auspicious invocation. And then Kaviraj Goswami explains his Mangalacharan verses, and then he does it over chapters. And in the context of that, the reason for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent to describe the principle of Guru, the principle of the Vaishnav, various tattvas and so on, extensive explanation of the tattva of Nityananda Prabhu, of Advaita Charja, and the Pancha tattva, and then the host of so many other devotees are all introduced the whole cast in the drama of Mahaprabhu's Leela of supporting players, all the different actors and actresses, principal ones, are all introduced. Some explanation of Navadvip Dham and its condition, and then Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance in the Leela, explanation of the Leela begins. So they've done like this, uh, Krishna's Kaviraj, similarly, a little differently, but similarly, in the same spirit, Vrindabandha's Thakur. But beyond the fact that they've done this and we're following in their footsteps, the reason that they've done this in one sense is that if we are to come in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, with Krishna, and we cannot come in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and not come in touch with Krishna, that is impossible. And we cannot come in touch with Krishna without coming in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is our strong opinion, at least not in the full sense not in the fullest sense of understanding Swayam Bhagavan, Rasikashekar, Krishna, who's the enjoyer, the connoisseur of love. I'll explain something about that as we go on. But the Gaudiya Vaishnavas have explained that if we are to come in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, if we are to touch, come in touch with Krishna, we must come in touch with Navadvip Dham. We must come in touch with Vrindavandam. We must come in touch with the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the associates of Krishna. So the Dham of Mahaprabhu, the Dham of Krishna, they're one. The associates of Mahaprabhu, the associates of Krishna, they're one. And Krishna as Krishna, Krishna as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in a simple way, as Prabhupada used to say, is never alone. 
the experience of Krishna, the transcendental experience of Krishna, includes the experience of his devotees and his dham. The dham means the abode, Navadvip here, for example, in regards to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is a manifestation of Baldev, Balram, who's the presiding deity of the Sandini Shakti. Sandini Shakti means the like existential potency of Godhead. The Lord has a nature. We call it Swarup Shakti. Swarup means nature. The power of his nature. Shakti. The power of his nature. And it's threefold. It has the power of existence, expanding existence, power of knowing, and the power of of loving, of bliss, of ecstasy. We call it Sandini Shakti, Sambit Shakti, Ladini Shakti. Bhakti, what does Rupa Goswami say? Bhakti means Bhava Bhakti. And what is Bhava Bhakti? Sudha Sattva Visheshatma, Prema Suryam Susamyabhak. Sudha Sattva means this Swarup Shakti, Visheshatma, a particular arrangement of this Swarup Shakti, that is what we call Bhakti. And that particular arrangement means the ingress into our life of Samvit, that knowing power, and Ladini. And of course, the Sandini Shakti makes the whole thing possible as well. Baladev expands the whole dham, the stage, for the performance of the Leela, the forms. So, this is another important way of understanding the significance of Baladev as well. He's behind the dham. That's why, for example, for residents in Navadweep, which Shinarmar sought, where did he go and whom did he ask? He went to Chakra. He asked Nityananda Prabhu. You might think, well, why didn't he ask Gadadha Pandit or why didn't he ask Krishna himself or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself? It'll be useful for us to know all these things. There's a place we want to go and it has some structure. It thrives on, it moves on love, but still it has some form and shape and, and, and reasoning to it within the context of its moving on the basis of love and, and feeling. So rasa means that love, taste, feeling, but there are some parameters to it nonetheless. Therefore, we have rasa tattva. What is rasa? What is not? What is rasa? What is what is abhas of rasa? How to combine things properly and so forth. So if we want to live in the dham, we go to Nityananda Prabhu for that blessing. Shri March was a knower. He knew where to go to get that kind of a blessing. And of course, he got it. He took his residence there. So, the importance of Baladev in Balaram can never be diminished. You may think, well, what does he have to do with the Rasalila? And in some, in some respects, in many respects, Gaudiya Vaishnavism ultimately about reaches that far. And he's not there. And there's nowhere that he's not, the fact is. In a particular shape and form, he may not be there per se. But who is Balaram? It's like someone asked me, once told me uh, a devotee that well, I was, she was very interested in, in Balaram. So I had to say, you should know what is Balaram. What is Balaram? You just have an interested idea. You like something you heard, but what is Balaram? We have a song we sing in the morning. How does it go? Dvijamani. Jalamala Sutra. Paduka Parai Dware Ar Atopatra. Nityananda Prabhu was everywhere in relation to Mahaprabhu. We discussed this to some extent on his appearance day. Dvijamani is Mahaprabhu, the jewel of the twice-born. Dvijamani, Bhakshetava, Jalamala Sutra. On the middle of his torso, is a th- around his torso, is a thread, an effulgent thread. Jalamala Sutra, a bright, effulgent thread. It's describing, oh, this Dvijamani, he has a beautiful thread around his torso. Padukaparai dware ar atopatra. And at the door are his shoes. He's on his bed. At the door are his shoes. An umbrella. All these things. The bed, the shoes, the umbrella. The shoes means from foot. Umbrella means to the top of the head. And in the middle of the torso, wrapped by the thread, is all Baldram. He wrapped up Nityananda Prabhu in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Completely wrapped up in serving him in every possible way. So he is behind the Sandini Shakti, which manifests the Dham, 
for the Lord's pastimes, though with some regard we approach him, Nityananda Prabhu, for understanding Navadvip Dham. So Navadvip Dham is, of course, non-different from Vrindavan Dham, as Mahaprabhu is non-different from Krishna. Therefore, it's manifest in the world as if a worldly place, but it is otherworldly altogether. Very esoteric and difficult to understand. It takes enlightened insight, hearing from enlightened persons to get a glimpse into the nature of this place. But historically speaking, at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, Navadvipa was very much uh, flourishing. Not, however, in terms of bhakti. That means that sometimes the Dham is manifest to one extent or another, or it's unmanifest. It's essentially always about the same thing. What is Navadweep? It means, Nava means nine. Dweep means island. Nine islands. What does Prahlad say? Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Arjunam, Bandam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Atmani, Vedanam. This is a Nava, called Navalakshan Bhakti. Nine expressions of Swarupsiddhi Bhakti, Swarupsiddha Bhakti, which are directly Bhakti, hearing about Krishna, chanting about Krishna, meditating upon Krishna, and so on. All these different islands are manifestations of these limbs of bhakti. What does it mean? If you go to Navadweep, if you live in Navadweep, where are you? We have to think like this. We're living in, a, in the fold of bhakti, surrounded by bhakti, by all these direct expressions of bhakti. Navadweep is a place that in every yuga was visited by the Lord. When the Shringa came, the Shringa Dev appeared, he killed that Aranyakashipu, and then he took off, and on his way out, he stopped over Navadweep, came down to the Ganga to wash his hands from the blood of Aranyakashipu. That's a famous place, Nishingapoli. All the devotees go there on Prakrama every year. In Treta Yuga, Treta Yuga Ramchandra was exiled from Ayodhya, and he had to live in the forest, and he wandered far and wide. It's mentioned he also came to Navadweep and spent time there. And in Dwapa Yuga, the Pandavas, you, know, you can't have Pandavas without Krishna, the Pandavas were exiled also, and they had to live incognito, and part of the time that they lived incognito, I think they were exiled for 12 years, and one year they had to live completely incognito, un- undetected, or otherwise their exile would be extended another 12 years. And they spent some of that time in incognito during their exile in Navadvipdam. And it said Krishna came there also at that time. So it's a, a spacious place for all time, and of course, most notably for the time in which we live in Kali Yuga, when Krishna came as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Krishna's coming as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is a very esoteric thing, very wonderful thing. As I'll go on, it's really the epilogue of the whole of, of the drama of Krishna Leela, rather extended and detailed epilogue, and much as the epilogue is the, the fate of the characters, what happened to them after the show stopped. So at any rate, it's a very auspicious place in many respects, but materially speaking, at the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, it was known for its being a place of learning. It was like a university campus where the only thing that went on was learning. People were not interested in anything else. It was a very large Brahminical community, very much centered on learning and education. They weren't interested in politics, and at the time, of course, it was politically governed by the Muslims. They thought that was that, that was a undesirable. To be a pundit, a learned scholar, was everything. Vrindavan Dastakras described that thousands of people, students, came daily to Navadweep to enter into learning, and thousands left daily with their diplomas. It was thought that if you didn't get a learning certificate in Navadweep, you hadn't learned. The only thing that was missing in Navadweep was a school of nyaya, of logic, and the books, the texts for this, were being hoarded by people in, uh, I think, in Bodhagaya. And so Bhattacharya Sarvabhoma, who we know of, Puri fame, Jagannath Puri fame, was the guru of Prataparudra Raj and became the first convert of Mahaprabhu in Puri, which, of course, if you convert the guru of the king, it means everybody's going to be converted, practically, and that's what happened. So, 
But the charge of Sabamu was originally, he hailed from Navadweep. In fact, he was a classmate and friend of uh, Nilambar Chakravarti or Upendra Mishra. He was of their same age. That means the father-in-law and the father of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Nilambar Chakravarti was the father of um, Sachidevi, a Chakravarti, a Jyotish, a very learned fellow, and Mishra, the father of Mahaprabhu, was Purandar. He was also called Purandar Jagannath Misham. He was a very learned, educated fellow. Anyway, Bhattacharya Sarvabhuma was a contemporary of theirs. And he went, like on an undercover mission, from Navadweep for the glory of Navadweep in a, in a secular, in a mundane sense of its interest at the time in learning. They weren't interested in necessarily in spirituality, but just having a head full of knowledge which is a huge burden, potentially. Anyway, on an incognito, kind of a secret mission, he went, and then he studied Nyaya, and he put to memory all of their books. Then he brought them to Navadweep and wrote them down so that they could have the texts for Nyaya, and then he started his school, and then he went to Puri and started the school there also. <laughs> so anyway, there was nothing lacking in terms of the potential for getting education in Navadweep. And it's significant that it was like this. We wonder, well, why wasn't it oozing with bhakti and so forth? This is all the arrangement of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. One of the principal teachings of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that bhakti surpasses jnana. It surpasses spiritual jnana. Just the, the knowledge of the self that affords liberation, that's really the, the beginning standard of what of the difference between knowledge and ignorance to know the difference between matter and spirit oh now you've got knowledge in one sense before that we consider all knowledge to be ignorance so what to speak of that knowledge being small that knowledge of self being small in comparison to bhakti ordinary knowledge aparavidya of the world that we was so immersed in at the time can't give us any entrance into the self even, mystery of the self, would speak of bhakti. And people were absorbed in this. And there's a saying, you know, you get uh, some of the universities, they have that engraved, in, uh, I've seen in, uh, in the concrete there, knowledge will set you free. I don't know who said it, but I've seen it at a couple of universities. And it's true, knowledge, is, we all know that knowledge is, is liberating. If you have knowledge, you, if, you, if you have an education, you can work less and make more. But, in relation to what Mahaprabhu was teaching, this knowledge was, was more or less a burden, and, it, and it, it was manifesting in such a way that it caused opposition even to bhakti. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came into this environment. It's his own abode, manifesting for his own purpose, a very high purpose, but at the time of his appearance, it was uninterested. The members, the residents were uninterested in bhakti and interested in ordinary knowledge. And he entered into this, of course, and as we know, he became very learned. He became the most learned person in all of Navadweep. Nimai Pandit, as a boy, could defeat the eldest and most educated scholars of Navadweep. And at some point, at the point where he decided to reveal his, his mission, he cast it all aside, threw it all away, dismissed all of that, and became a, a singer and a dancer and lover, a bhakta, it is said that Bhagavad Bhakti Hinasya Jati Shastram Japatapa Apanasebadeha Simandanam Lokarandana. Good birth, good looks, learning, all these things. If they are devoid of bhakti, Bhagavad Bhakti Hinasya, they are just decorations of a dead body. That's all. Bhakti is life, is the life of the soul. Without that, what is the value of decorating the dead body? So, into that kind of spiritual vacuum that Navadvipa was appearing to be at the time, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu made his appearance. And so many of his devotees had already appeared, of course. His mother, Sachi, his father, Jagannath Misha, they had six, seven, seven daughters, all of which were miscarriage or stillborn. Yeah. And then they had Vishparup, a son, who was an expansion of Baladev himself, before their, their second son, it was Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, 
all the qualities of Nanda Maharaj were found in Jagannath Mishra and all the qualities of Jashoda in Sachimata. Advaita was there. Nityananda had already appeared, although he had not come to Nabharupi, he was traveling. So many, all the associates of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had appeared before him. And then here now, in the description of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna's Kabiraj Goswami, the poet, Kabiraj means king of poets. He has given this name for his books, Chaitanya Charitamrita and Govinda Lilamrita, which are such wonderful poetry. It's said even that the poetry of the Bhagavatam may have some flaw. The author himself has made such a comment. That my writing, it may have some flaw, technical flaw in that. But that should be overlooked in terms of the urgency of the message and its importance. But it is said that Chaitanya Charitamrita is the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam, and poetically it's, it's perfect. So Kavi means poet and Raj. Actually, 50-some associates of Mahaprabhu's principal 64 eternal associates, as they appeared in this world, were all poets and musicians, artists. This is really the language in which there's some potential for expressing bhakti. Through philosophy we can give some idea, but really it is expressed better. We have to drift to song, to poetry. It is talking about a land of all possibilities. So in poetic language, Krishna's Kabirash Goswami says, Chodashata Sata Shoke Mas Je Falgun Purnamasira Sandyakale Hoile Shubakshana. This is thus in the year fourteen oh seven of the Shaka era that corresponds with the common era, 1486. Palgun Mash, in the month of Palgun, that is, this month, on the evening of Purnim, the full moon, Sanjakale Huile Shubakshan, at a very auspicious moment, Shubakshan, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, this boy, this son, of course he's not named Chaitanya Mahaprabhu at this time, that is later his sannyas name, Chaitanya. Mahaprabhu name came in Navadweep when he defeated that. Keshav Kashmiri, that pundit from outside who came, was defeated by the boy. He gave him the name Mahaprabhu. That stuck with him. And from there, he, shortly thereafter, he left Navadweep. There's a name more appropriate, Mahaprabhu, for outside of Navadweep. It speaks about his prowess, his Aishwarya. So, Chaitanya, of course, is his sannyas name. His birth name was Vishwambar. Here Krishna's Kabira says, Singharasi Singhalagna Uchag Grahagon Shadvaraga Ashtavaraga Sarvasulakshan. He's describing his astrological chart. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was in the uh, womb of Sachi for 13 months. It was a bit of a, an issue, as you can imagine. After 13 months, Jagannath Mishra started to become a little concerned. So Ilambar Chakravarti, who, as I mentioned, was a Jyotish, an astrologer, he was called and he in the chart. He said he's going to come right now <laughs> in the month of Palgun on the Purnim. And this, this was on a, on a Saturday, actually, he appeared. And then he, the, the chart here is mentioned. He gave the, the chart. And those of you who are familiar with astrology, this verse will have more meaning. But the moon was in Leo. Leo was the ascendant. Several planets were strongly positioned. And the Sadbarga and Ashtabarga showed all auspicious influences. That chart is available. You can study that if, if you know astrology. And it's very apparent from the chart that this is a very extraordinary person. People question the divinity of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Oh, they're so unfortunate to take up such an argument. And they make various arguments. And we, we should address some of them as we go on. But just from looking at the chart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you'll be very cautious then if you know anything about astrology to attribute anything less to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu than the very highest status of divinity amongst humans, in the very least. So I had read something that someone had sent me, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is not a god, and he's not mentioned in the Shruti, the Upanishads. So he's not a god. Of course, I, I don't think Varaha is mentioned. I don't think Nishringa is mentioned. Unless you want Nishringa Tapani. Krishna is not mentioned. Unless you want Krishna Gopal Tapani, Upanishad. 
But the same people that make that argument don't accept those Upanishads <laughs> either. Ram Tapani, they're all considered later Upanishads. Even someone was questioning it. the concept of avatar is hard to find itself in the Shruti. I remember someone was questioning Brahma on that. And it's true. It's, this is all comes out in the Puranas, of course. Anyway, so it's not a very strong argument. But anyway, in making that argument, he said something to the effect that people who worship him as God, because he's not God, they will all go to hell. But we teach, of course, even if he's not God, if he's a great saint and you worship a saint and a Vaishnava, which is there's no doubt he was a Vaishnava, that's more important even than worshiping God. Worshiping the Vaishnava, only we can approach God only through the Vaishnava. So this is a rather hellish mentality too. Even just, just from the chart, we can see, oh, he's a great, great Vaishnava, a great devotee. Why would his chart say anything else? Of course, another astrologer later on, after this incident of his initial doing of his chart, when it was time and there was question about, well, he's been in the moon for 13 months, later on, an astrologer had come passing through Navadweep and stopped at the house of Sachimata, where he was hosted. They would host any traveling person on, on a regular basis, accommodate him. That fellow did the chart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and went into meditation and he concluded that your son is Narayan. Mahaprabhu heard it, he said, oh, that's so silly. He's a bogus astrologer. In my last life, I was a cowherd. Therefore, this life, I could take birth as a Brahmin. <laughs> so, here the chart is given. It's an auspicious chart. And then he says, Kaviras Goswami, very poetically, he says, A Kalanka Gautchandra Nildarshan he says, When the moon of Gaur, he's comparing, this is poetic again, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to a moon, without any spot on it. A spotless moon, implying that there's a moon that has spots. The spotless moon of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Dila Darshan, gave his appearance, gave Darshan to himself by making his appearance. Sakalanka Chandra Harkon Prayojan. That moon that has spots on it, what is the value of that? It has no value in comparison. So he's giving a poetic expression. Then he says, therefore, to emphasize this point, Eto Jani Rahu Koila Chandra Grahana. Rahu, who is considered to be a malefic planet, Etajani, knowing this himself, Rahu, he's malefic. He's supposed to be a demonic influence. There's some telling about the extent of which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's dissemination of, of bhakti and goodwill would go. Even the demonic will take to that. And there, of course, there are many examples, not short of that. <laughs> of that have come under his influence. So at the very time of his appearance, a well-known, malefic, and demonic influence in the form of Rahu, knowing this, what? The Chaitanya moon has come. He's spotless. Therefore, the need for this other moon that people are always glorifying in place of me, Rahu's thinking, he should be covered. He should be hidden. Krishna Krishna Hari Nami Bhashi Tribhuvan So the dark planet Rahu covered the the bright planet moon and all the people, this is during the eclipse then, a full lunar eclipse, they all chanted, Krishna, Krishna, Name Bhashe Tribhuvan. The whole three worlds were inundated with the chanting of Krishna, Krishna. So this is what used to be thought in ancient times. But these are really poetic descriptions. They used to think that there was a person called Rahu and a planet called Rahu, and at certain times he would devour the moon. And that's what we call an eclipse. And that was inauspicious. And therefore, you should cover everything. And after the eclipse, all the pots have to be washed and everything. And you can't do anything during that time. You can't bathe even during that time because you won't get clean. And They do this in Vrindavan. If you've ever been in Vrindavan during a solar or lunar eclipse, it's a whole huge ritual. And this is very interesting because we know from modern science that an eclipse is a shadow. So a lunar eclipse is shadow of the earth on the moon. 
So we could say, oh, this is, this is the folk tales of you know people who didn't have these type of scientific insights, and so we can dispense with so much of this mythology and, and so on. But we should not be so quick to do that. It's true, no doubt, that the Earth's shadow is what covers the moon during the lunar eclipse. Shooter Marsh once spoke about this, and he said that a fellow had, in the presence of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, had made a comment that, oh, the, the Bhagavatam has given such a silly uh, uh, idea about the eclipse, calling it the planet Rahu, devouring the, the moon, and so on. This was, we're talking of, you know, 1920s. The devotees at that time, some of them, were thinking, how do we make this Bhagavatam cosmological explanation in the Bhagavatam fit with the findings of in modern times? This was an issue then. How much more it should be an issue now, where you know man went to the moon, landed on the moon, looked at the earth from the moon. So anyway, Shudamarj had to deal with this to some extent himself. So he said he said he was not very happy to hear this dismissal of the Bhagavatam, and he made a point. What is said in the Bhagavatam has some substance to that. We should consider that. But then he said, thought to himself, I have to think now how to make it work. <laughs> and so he gravitated towards a, a non-literal type of explanation. Literal explanation may be valuable. If you study, for example, Prabhupada's literal explanations of these things, if you listen to his morning walk conversations, when he says, so what they say, scientists, who are they, what they say? Bhagavatam says this. What Prabhupada is doing over and over again, he's challenging, he's, cha- he's telling the devotees to think. It's so ironic. Because so many of them hearing that and reciting what he's saying are doing just the opposite of thinking. He's trying to get them to think. You understand? He's saying, you're just believing whatever you hear. I'm saying, why should you believe whatever you hear from just anybody? There may be authorities who are more credible, who have better character, who have something more meaningful and something more substantial to tell you about life. He was trying to break the faith of the devotees in a certain sector. It's not that everything that sector says is untrue necessarily. He's trying to break their faith in that, which is reasonable because they're not absolute authorities. But the common person more or less kind of takes it as, uh, and doesn't stop to think. And Prabhupada's really telling him, question authority. <laughs> it's, it's so ironic. Question authority. But this is also part of the spiritual uh, quest. And maybe there's a better authority. And if it was shown to him, but actually what they said here is actually true, and it can be proven. He said, then, so, anyway, then we say this. <laughs> he would accept that, and then he would say, so what if they went to the moon? Then what did they do there? What was the value of it? What was gained from that? There's so many problems on earth. People are starving. Are they bringing food back? <laughs> he would argue, like, because he did say they didn't go to the moon. But then he said, maybe they went to Rahu. Then he said, I think they went to the Arizona desert. Something like that. <laughs> I said, and if they did go to the moon, then he, said, then he said, then what is the use of that? What is the value? So, Prabhupada had a purpose. This is the business of the guru, to make us think. In one sense, it's to make us to stop thinking, but it's, we have to think about what we think about, why we think, what the mind is, and, and so forth, and how we're perpetuating our material existence by just turning the wheels of our mind. It's kind of shock therapy. This is the business of the guru, one extent, shock therapy. And Prabhupada was very, very good at that. So there's a value, in, in, as he did sometimes, in stressing literally the Bhagavatam. Shudamar said he thought of it in a non-literal way, and he thought that the sages, through who the literature has been penned, they live in a plane, the plane of consciousness, which matter is but a shadow of. Matter is the shadow of consciousness. Behind all material manifestations is consciousness. This is our theory. It's well-reasoned, and it can be experienced also. Consciousness is primal. It's not that the uh, idea comes out of the stone, but the stone is an idea. He had a kind of a catchy title he gave, Subjective Evolution of Consciousness, as opposed to the Objective Evolution of Matter. 
in which consciousness is said to appear at a certain time, living matter, and then it disappears, comes and goes. No, our theory is that behind matter is consciousness. So they attributed the rishis living in the plane of consciousness to all material manifestations, personality. Because consciousness implies thinking, feeling, willing, personality. This is the whole idea of Krishna. Everything's a person, ultimately. Reality is a person. Everything is consciousness. Everything is person. So, to the shadow of the earth that covers the moon, they attributed personality, consciousness. He said, in this way we can understand Rahu. We don't have to throw away the Bhagavatam. But we can say what they're talking about is looking at it from a different angle, from a deeper angle. And they're not just making up stories and characters and so forth and so on. We don't have to throw the whole thing out. Neither do we have to accept it in such a literal way when it's in such conflict with overwhelming evidence to the contrary that we will become irrelevant in terms of presenting the essential message of such texts, like the advent of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and what it's about, what its significance is. So in, this is poetry. Reality can best be described in the language of poetry. So that Rahu, personified shadow, he thought, oh, this moon is always getting all the, you know, I'm just a shadow. <laughs> and everyone's, you know, the romance is going on with the moon and singing songs about the moon. No one talks about me. I wanted immortality. What did Rahu do? He tried to drink the elixir of, of immortality. He made a deal with, wasn't it, with Mohini? Morty, when the ocean of milk was churned, and somehow what did he do? He stole a cup or something like that, the, the nectar, and he was about to drink it, and what Vishnu caught up, he said, so he's just a head. <laughs> Rahu has no body, he's just a head. But anyway, he, so he's thinking that this moon has just got you know, so much praise, even from secular people, and then the religious people, they consider it heavenly, and so on, and it inspires heavenly feelings, and Whatnot. He's always taking the show. And Rahu says, I say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a spotless moon, and you are a moon with spots. In his presence, you have no place for standing, even in all your fullness there. I have the right to cover you. The moon acquiesced, cover me. Let it be. Let the whole world and the whole world chant the holy name of Krishna. So, it also implies and teaches us that with the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the holy name descends. It is said in Kali Yuga that the Lord comes in the form of his holy name. And it comes through the medium of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance in a prominent way. Everybody in Nadia and throughout the religious world of India took to the sacred rivers and the chanting of the holy name. And the full eclipse was experienced there in Nadia. So everyone entered into the sacred Ganga to take Snan. I was fortunate one year to be in Mayapur when there was a full lunar eclipse on Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance day. A couple of decades ago, and I was in Iskon, and we all went down to the, to the Ganga, and everybody was bathing and chanting Haribol, and it was a very uh, very wonderful uh, occasion on which to observe the Gorpurnim. It's memorable of the actual time of appearance. Jai jai dwani hoila sakala bhuvan chamatkar bhave mone man. All the people chanted Haribol, they chanted the holy name, and their minds were filled with chamatkar. Chamatkar means wonder, astonishment. It's said to be the basis of rasa. The basis of the experience of rasa is chamatkar. So this is Rashekar himself, Krishna coming, the connoisseur of love appearing. So Harinam, the name of Krishna, can be chanted for many reasons and, and again give all types of benefits. But that Harinam, backed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that gives something very special coming in his lineage, that conception behind Hare Krishna Mahamantra, that is, gives a very special gift of Krishna Prem. So, everyone has got potential for that in terms of chanting Krishna Nam with the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And when the world was thus chanting the holy name of the Supreme Lord <coughs> Krishna in the form of Gaurhari, Krishna Daskabari says he had vented himself on earth. Prashana hoila shab jagaterman hori boli so the whole world was pleased, prasanna, where they were satisfied. And while the Hindus chanted, the Muslims laughed at them. 
made fun of them. Why are you chanting Hare Krishna? In this way, they also chanted as well, imitating them. Hari boli, nari ghan de hula huli, sarge badya ritya kore deva kutuhali. So then all the ladies, they did uh, hula huli. What do they call that? Ulu. They ululated. Ulated? <laughs> it's considered to be auspicious. <laughs> and even the heavenly planets, there was dancing and music going on. The demigods were all very curious what was happening in, in the cosmos and what was Rahu up to and what was happening on earth. And prasana huila dhasadika prasana nari jal astabara jangama huila anandivival There was joy in all directions Diktash in all ten directions, means including up and down and northeast, southeast, southwest. And the waves of the rivers also were jubilant. Moreover, all beings moving and non-moving were overwhelmed with transcendental bliss. Nadiya Udjagiri Purna Chandra Godhari Kripa Kori Hoila Udai Papartapa Holenas Jijagaterulas Jagabhari Hori Dwani Hai. Thus, by his causeless mercy, the full moon of Gorhari rose in the district of Nadia, which is compared to Udjagiri, where the sun first becomes visible. Poetically speaking, the, the horizon is compared to a mountain, and the sun is coming up over the mountain. Giri means mountain, Udjagiri rising above the mountain, where the sun becomes first visible. This is called Udjagiri. So, his rising in the sky dissipated the darkness of sinful life, and thus the three worlds became joyful and chanted the holy name of the Lord. This is a brief description of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. A historical effect, because the astrological chart is there, and uh, there are authentic biographies written about him. And of course, now there may be, someone may say, there may be some exaggeration there. They may have made him out to be divine, more so than he is. Okay, he's got a good <coughs> chart. That's one thing. He's a Vaishnav. Okay, but you want to make him not only God, but you want to make him Krishna, and you want to make Krishna the god of gods. In the religious world, these arguments will be made. You understand? You want to make him Krishna, if that's not bad enough, you want to make Krishna the source of Narayan even. <laughs> so all these arguments will be taken up in Chaitanya Charitamrita. And someone may say, as that fellow did, where's the Shruti reference for that? And I say, where's the Shruti reference for Varaha, for Kurma, for Matsya? For so many avatars, for the very concept of avatar, it's scarce. For Krishna, for Ram, for Nishingha. What about the Smriti? What about the Puranas? This is where all the avatars are discussed. Yeah, where's the reference to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Of course, we say, oh, in the Bhagavad Purana. Actually, we don't call it Bhagavad Purana. We call it Srimad Bhagavatam. Goswamis have called Bhagavad Purana, which is one of the Puranas, Srimad Bhagavatam. They've given a special emphasis that for good reason and practically speaking from a literary point of view from a theological point of view none of the Puranas compare to Srimad Bhagavatam closest would be Padma Purana in terms of a developed theology and philosophical insight so it really is the best of the Puranas Srimad Bhagavatam means the beautiful Bhagavatam it means it's a book about the Sri of Bhagavat of God ultimately the beauty the charm, the shakti. Ultimately, if we study Bhagavatam, it's about Radha, about Krishna's love for Radha. So if we are to understand Krishna, he is rasa and he is rasika. If you want a shuti reference for this, of course, it is said, raso vai saha, brahman is rasa. The Goswamis have taken this shuti reference and made a whole theology out of that. Others have researched the Shruti to defeat the Mayabad philosophy in different ways, Madhva, Ramanuja, and so forth. The principal reference from the Shruti that the Goswamis took was this one, Rasovaisaha. Let's make a theology and a philosophy out of this. And let's not only we defeat this Mayabad idea, put it in perspective, but all other concepts of Vaishnavism put that in perspective as well. Because of his Brahmana's Rasa, and there's no better example of the fullness of Rasa than in the person of Krishna. And because he's a person, not only is he rasa, but he also tastes rasa. So he's rasika. He's rasa and he's rasika. And he's rasika shekhar. He's the king, the chief of the tasters of rasa. 
we're saying this is what God is about. Reality is ultimately about joy, about ecstasy, about love, and tasting its own self. It exists for itself, by itself. It's ecstasy, love, and it's tasting that. Now, that's an attractive idea. Who really wants to argue with that? <laughs> we live in a world of emotions. If we say, like in terms of Sankhya philosophy, for example, one aspect of it which the Vedantins embrace, that the effect is present in the cause. The effect is the world. And what is the world? Take the emotions out of the world. Do you have one? No. It's all about these emotions, these feelings. That's what the whole world is about. So if the effect is in the cause, then the cause must have some feeling, not just a static existence without feeling, without taste, full of feeling. Rasa He, Brahman, is rasa. Rasa's chamatkar, wonder, astonishment is its basis. Such a feeling. It rises to such a height of feeling that it's astonishing. Oh, and then so many flavors of that, a whole world of feeling. This is the heart of divinity. It's not hard, too hard, to get people to accept that Krishna is God, at least amongst Vaishnavas. And then, oh, what kind of God? So sweet, so charming. Even if you say that Krishna is an avatar of Narayan, you have to say, only through that avatar does he experience these particular rasas, these particular tastes. They say that, oh, Narayan, sometimes Narayan does like that. We don't understand why. <laughs> After all, he's God. But sometimes he does like that, herding the cows and chasing the gopis in the bushes. We don't know much about that side of him. But the Godias know all about that side. As I've said before, no one flatters Krishna more than the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. That means no one knows him better. Because the more you glorify him, the more you like him, the more you praise him, the more he reveals himself about you. <laughs> That's very natural. We know that from human psychology. So we say that Krishna's Rasika Shekhar, that's hard to argue with. He is the king of love, the connoisseur of love. If this is so, then there must be a Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There must be some manifestation of Krishna in which Krishna tastes the fullest, fullest measure of love because that's what Krishna's about. That is the meaning of Krishna. That feature of divinity that's tasting the, everything there is to taste in love, loving reciprocation. If that is Krishna, then there must be some, whatever we'll call it, it has to exist. This is the logic of the Rasikas, you see. see what the Rasikas, they understand who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And if they're not a Rasika, or they're not following a Rasika, they can't understand who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Why? And they give maybe so many arguments why. This is the logic of love. What is Srimad Bhagavatam? It's all about Krishna's love for Radha. This is the best of the Shastras, Srimad Bhagavatam. Best of the Puranas, and the Puranas are the fulfillment of the Shruti. Purna, they complete it. Srimad Bhagavatam is the best of the Puranas. And what is the book about? What is his high point? Consummation of the love between Radha and Krishna in Rasalila. Everything building up to that and everything after that is pointing back to that. And what happens there is that Rasika Shekhar Krishna, who is the connoisseur of love, finds an expression of love that he has no experience of. This is a problem for his godhood, <laughs> for him to be who he is, for him to be all that he is. He has to be able to taste that. He's finding it in gopis, and in Radha in particular. He's finding that. And he says, jutam. Ah, I said it in Bhagavad Gita. Of course, in the Leela he says it later, but these texts are, are eternal, and so is the Leela. The principle is always there. Whether he said it before or after, it makes some difference. What is the principle? As people approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. You approach me in a certain way, I reciprocate back. What happened? The way the gopis approached him, he couldn't reciprocate. Their love was unfathomable. The extent of their love was unfathomable to him. He was bewildered by that, hiding behind a tree in the bushes watching that. 
them in separation with Radha as the as a leader, showing such intense love. Even when he had neglected them, he was overwhelmed by that. Hiding behind the bushes, he had to come out. And he had to say, I'm purchased by you. And I'm your puppet. I'm controlled by you. I said I could reciprocate for whatever, however, the measure of which anyone approached me. I, I can't reciprocate. I become your servant. I'm purchased by that. You see, the gopis, they don't want any joy. All they want is to serve Krishna. They get joy from it. If it pleases Krishna, they accept the joy and relish it. Otherwise, they have absolutely no interest in any personal joy whatsoever. They only want to serve. Krishna was just absolutely bewildered by this. And here, this is Srimad Bhagavatam. The problem is, it's the book, the full book about Swayam Bhagavan. It tells the whole thing about God as far as it can go. And it comes up short. <laughs> the book itself says it. It's coming up short. He says, I can't. You've exhausted my capacity to reciprocate. So, the Rashikas, real saints, really know Brahman as Rasa. They concluded. This is the logic of Rasa. Oh, there has to be an epilogue to this. <laughs> What was the fate of the players in the drama? You know, after the show, they show, he was in prison, you know, and he got out of prison, <laughs> whatever it is. You know. He married her and she married. So what happened to them? What, you read the whole Bhagavatam, you come to Rasalila and you want to go to the rest and see what's going to happen. And just reflecting back on that incident and its significance and what happened. The point is Krishna was exasperated. So they have concluded something had to happen. There has to be an epilogue. And so they studied the scriptures and they read certain verses. They said, ah, this is talking about the epilogue. This is talking about the epilogue. This is talking about the epilogue. And therefore, this, this verse is about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is a verse about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Someone came. Someone took birth in Nadia. He got the name Chaitanya. His birth name was Vishwambhar, who would nourish the universe. And it means nourish them with, with what he came to give, with what food for the soul. Rasananda, Bhakti, Bhakti Rasa, Vishwambar, he became known as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This person, this person has to exist somewhere. And because Krishna Leela was performed on earth, because earth is the place of love, I mean, it's the human stage, this is the Nara Leela. So it has to happen on earth if it's to be the fulfillment of that. And what it's about, it's about this Bhagwan, Krishna, trying to taste the love of Radha. They've reasoned like this. If you really know Krishna, you say, oh, yes, there must be a, a something. <laughs> what is it? And when it came, when he came, of course, those who identified him came along with him. Rup, Sanatana, Goswami, and so forth. But in the Leela, the context of the Leela, they didn't know they came along with him. That is Yoga Maya's arrangement. So they were sadhakas. They found Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He was a wonderful saint. He was a boy, hometown boy of Nadia, champion scholar. He became a devotee. He converted Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. And they studied him. They, this Sanatana Goswami, before he met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he was a student of Srimad Bhagavatam. He used to sit in all of his spare time, study Srimad Bhagavatam with pundits. When he retired from the government and said, I'm not coming to work anymore, that's all he did was close the doors and surround him with pundits, study Srimad Bhagavatam. And our Sampradaya, he is the original commentator on the Bhagavatam. He drew those verses from Srimad Bhagavatam, 11th, 11th canto, and explained them in a way that no one has before that explained Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. This is the most prominent reference. If you want a reference in a scripture, you can't be satisfied with a reference from Srimad Bhagavatam. We don't have time for you. Srimad Bhagavatam clearly says about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in three verses where the Yuga avatars are described. These two successive verses describing his qualities. No one had ever commented upon them like that. No one had ever understood them in that way. But if a gopi who was there in Rasalila attending to her mistress, Radha, and saw Krishna's predicament, found herself in another dimension, appearing again, which constituted the 
the fulfillment of that, the epilogue of that, then as that starts to unfold in his life, then he reads Srimad Bhagavatam, he reads that verse, and it dawns on him. That's that boy of Nadia, this, uh, this who converted Saravoma. They got his company, Rupsanatan. They left home. They became his followers. They wrote books about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. They showed how the scriptures are pointing to this person. They went through the academic exercise of showing, in a sense, the Rasik exercise, in another sense. But the main point here is that a Rasika who knows Krishna and tastes Krishna, really, he knows there must be a Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There has to be. The Vrindavan Leela was incomplete. Therefore, have to play it again a little differently. Krishna has to take the role of Radha. He has to try to take the position of a devotee in order to taste his own sweetness, his own qualities, like only she can. For Krishna to experience the fullness of love, he has to experience the glory of her love, himself personally, and her bliss. These are the reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's esoteric appearance. Surup Damodar has explained, Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami has followed that. You see, this is their reasoning. And they just make up these reasons. They're rasikas, they're tasting that. They know this has to happen. And here they're heralding it. It happened. This is when it happened. 1486, full moon was uh, showing itself. Yashoda had appeared, Nanda Maharaj. This boy came, Sachinandan, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Vishwambar, Nimai Pandit. This way we should understand the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as a logical, philosophical, if you will, and rasic necessity of the absolute. It has to be. And those persons who have pointed out to us when it is, when it be, when it happened, how much we are indebted to them, what kind of saints they are. This is the tradition that we are following. This way we should study about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. Read Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Bhagavat, Srimad Bhagavatam. Have faith in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who he is. There will be many dogs barking as the train goes by. Who is this Chaitanya? You people have made up of some pradaya. You've attributed divinity to someone who is just a saint. Yes, we accept he's a saint. All our books say he was a saint. There are so many saints. But what do the same people say about Krishna? What do they know about Krishna? In what ways do they flatter Krishna and glorify Krishna? Does it compare to what the Gaudias say about him? They flatter him as a source of Narayana. Of course, there's some substance to their flattery also, and they can explain that. So, again, in Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, I said this, if you were a devotee of Krishna, you cannot be a devotee of Krishna, he says in Kali Yuga, and not be a devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It is meaningless. He says, this is his insight. Of course, you could be a devotee of Krishna, but you're not a devotee of Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan Krishna full expression of Krishna, who is beholden to Radha in every way, crippled by the extent of her love, toppled by her love and, and made accessible, so accessible thereby. See, this all combines in. Mahaprabhu has made it so accessible because he's pressing on this point about Krishna. How difficult it is to obtain Krishna, to get his attention. Mahaprabhu has shown the way. Mention this point, or he'll grab you, cover your mouth, Saying that about me, I'm conquered. The whole world, I have to keep my position. I have many devotees. <laughs> Worship me as God. Think of me as the eighth incarnation of Vishnu. In so many ways, they conceive of me. They want eternal life for me. They want blessings, so many things. Go to Vaikuntha. I have to keep my composure for all of them. What you know, that's secret stuff. That has to be kept hush-hush. Come to my private place, straight to Dweep. You know about that? You're interested in that? You want to broadcast it? Everywhere? Come. At a certain point, he takes that preacher. I have to take you back here, <laughs> keep you here. What Rupa Goswami told about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's inner feeling, oh, Mahaprabhu became embarrassed. He slapped him. Where did you get that? Take that. Tried to tear up the verse he had written and tapped on his wall about Mahaprabhu's real inner sentiments that he was feeling when singing an ordinary love song in Rathayatra about Radha's love for Krishna. Very, very, very high things. We have been given by our uh, charges. So on a day like this, when we remember Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes, we should think of him along these lines and have faith. We are in touch with a very, very important, important thing. This is headline news. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has appeared in the world. It's our business to broadcast this good tiding, this good news. 
And to do it, we had to do it as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's done, by being good people, by having good character, good example. This was his, his emphasis, to teach by example, teach by your ecstasy. Practice, become ecstatic, and attract people to Krishna consciousness. <laughs> that was the idea. Siman Mahaprabhu ki jai, Tanand Prabhu ki jai, Si Panchatattva ki jai, Navadvitam ki jai, Si Vrindavandam ki jai, Si Rasikashetkar, Krishna Chandra ki jai, Gaur Chandra ki jai, Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Paramparaki Jai Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanandi